All right, so we're in Jonah. Today we're back to our, our Jonah study. We visit Jonah every, every fourth Sunday. So go ahead and open your Bibles. Turn to Jonah. We'll go to chapter 1. Go on to the next slide. Our title for today is, O Sleeper, Arise. We're going to see that right here in the text. I'm going to go ahead and read... Well, we'll just, we'll just read it all. Our text will really be verses 4 to 16, but I'll just start in verse 1 and, and give you a quick recap as we get running into this. So let's, let's look at the Word of God. Now the Word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And that's where we started. We saw, Arise, go, God's command to all of us is that we all would arise and go. We saw it, we talked about the Great Commission. We talked about how God has, has instructed each one of us who are believers to get up just like he did to Jonah and to go. And we saw who Jonah is and we saw where he was going. God gave that to all believers, even if you're going to boot camp. Your instruction is to arise, go. Not to get, not to get boot camped. I mean, you got to do that too, whatever that entails. But as you go... You go and you take the Lord with you and you take his message, okay? But Jonah, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a, a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, we talked about that as well. We saw but, God, we saw but Jonah and we saw but God uh, a few months ago. But Jonah decided not to obey the Lord, right? And, and, and we talked about this. God is speaking to all of us continually throughout the course of our life. Uh, if you're tuned in, if you're, if you're seeking him, then he's probably speaking to you even more. And, and he's giving you instruction every day. And then you have the opportunity to respond. You get to choose how you want to respond. But Jonah didn't do what God said. And we talked about that. And we talked about we don't want to be, uh, you know, a, a, a butt James or a God said butt Dell. We never want our response to the Lord to start with but. Right? And then we also saw, kind of saw, kind of ran out of time, that the Lord responded. Because that next verse, it was but Jonah, and then it's but the Lord. And the Lord sent this storm. And as, as, a, as by way of re, uh, maybe a reminder here, the storms in your life may be due to your own decisions to rebel against God. It may be a tough storm just because you made it a tough storm. You asked for the storm. You decided to rebel against God, and so God had to respond to the position that you put him in. All right? Now, God is sovereign enough that he can, he can accomplish what he wants to do no matter what decision you make. Meaning, the storm was not originally a part of Jonah's life. The storm wasn't part of God's plan. Jonah brought that. We look at some of our storms and we're like, well, God's got me in a tough time. No, he doesn't. I mean, he does, but you got you in a tough time. Well, this storm, I'm just enduring. And sometimes we don't like to be honest and call things what they really are and evaluate things uh, in truth. And so we'll come to our our, our small groups, and we'll come to our prayer groups, and we'll say, you know, pray for me. I'm just, I'm in this storm. God's got me in this storm. You forget to tell everyone you're in this storm because you rebelled against the Lord. So God will put some storms on you, especially if he, uh, he got a plan for you and you're trying to run. 
Okay? So, so the Lord responds. All right, then, uh, and then Jonah goes. Oh, one other thing I just want to point out, and this is kind of a throwback as well. You see here that, uh, that he goes to Tarshish, verse 3, he goes to find the ship, and then right in the middle of that verse, so he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it. When you decide to run from the Lord, it gets expensive. He had to go and pay his own way in order to run from the Lord. Right? So uh, maybe your financial situation is the same thing. Man, things are, things are tight. Things are hard. Sometimes they just are, but sometimes it's because we're not willing to, to look and say, uh, maybe it's because I'm going the wrong way. Going the wrong way will cost you more. Right? Oh, by the way, not necessarily related, but they're charging us to park in that lot next door now. So just as a reminder, a heads up. If you go and you park over there and you, and you don't want to pay their meter, that will also cost you more. <laughs> Somewhere between $45 and $75, I've heard that those tickets are kind of expensive. They will give you a ticket. They started doing that last week. So that parking lot, you know, when you go out our door, there's a little wall. If you go on the other side of the wall, you're in uh, ticket land. Or you pay the meter and it's $4 an hour. That's expensive parking. They are proud of that parking. Street parking downtown, midtown, all around, it's $1 an hour. So they are. Yeah. Anyway. All right, just remember that. I don't want you guys to get tickets. Moving on. Verse 5, and we'll pick it up here. This is new stuff we're going to be looking at today. Then the mariners were afraid and, and cried every man unto his God and cast forth their wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and, what, uh, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the God, the Lord, the God of heaven, uh, which made the sea and the dry land. Kind of a funny statement to declare that he fears that God, but he's running from him. He doesn't actually fear him. Then, then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, and the sea shall be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring, to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what you want to teach us today. God, I pray that our hearts would be uh, stilled uh, from, from all that could be going on in our life and the turmoil of, of life in the world. And Lord, that we could set those things aside so that we can also have hearts that are, that are inclined unto you.
to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I have this clicker, but you running my clickers or am I? I'm going to leave it on you. All right, hands free. Very good. So we're going to start by looking at uh, Jonah. We're going to look at Jonah and, uh, you know, the, the command, the, the request that is made by the captain. He comes down to Jonah and he says, oh, oh sleeper, arise. And we're going to see here that Jonah is going to picture for us the, the, the state of the church, right? Uh, I'd, I'd written down that, the, you know, here's Jonah sleeping in the midst of chaos, right? There's a great storm. Everybody thinks that they are going to die and, uh, and there's Jonah just sound asleep. In, in one sense, Jonah could be a type of the Laodicean church for us. And that he is completely disengaged from the reality of the world that is going on around him. And that is the, the state of the church currently. It is a church that is completely disengaged from, from what is going on around them. But the difference between the Laodicean church and Jonah, the Laodicean church believes that they're doing okay. Jonah knows that he's running from the Lord. He has made an intentional decision to leave the Lord. We think, we've, well, we, we've left the Lord, typically in Laodicea. We don't realize it, and we just think we're doing good. And we don't even realize that the world around us is in chaos and is about to die, and they actually need what we got, okay? Okay? So let's take a quick look here at sleep in the Bible. What does the Bible say about sleep? Because here's, this is the state that we find Jonah in. We find Jonah asleep. Sleep in your Bible is a, a type or a picture of death. We see that in a number of places. In John chapter 11, Jesus says that Lazarus is sleeping. But really what he means is Lazarus is dead. Uh, he says it because, you know, it's kind of a play on words because he's going to go and raise him up. He's like, he's dead, but only for a minute. Kind of like he's sleeping. Uh, you see that in John eleven thirteen In Matthew chapter 9, and verse 24, he said unto them, uh, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. Again, the same idea. Somebody who is dead is declared as being asleep. And then they laughed, Jesus scorned. And then he, he's like, hey, wake up. Psalm chapter 13, and verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest, the sleep of, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So the psalmist also compares sleep unto death. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So even into the New Testament for us, we see Paul making the same comparison, that we are to awake that are asleep. Or, another way to say that, arise from the dead. And, and this, is, well, this is Ephesians. This is a book that's written to the church to talk about how the church should function. And Paul's instruction to the church is this. Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead. Because this is the unfortunate state of the church, again, in Laodicea. That we are, as a whole, asleep. We're dead. Now, in the Bible, we see a number of times, you know, where sleep is a dangerous thing. Some bad things happen uh, to people who are sleeping in Scripture as well. Not only, you know, is it a picture of death, and you go, that's a pretty bad thing. But then you see some literal really bad things that happen in the Bible as well. So in Judges chapter 4, a really interesting story of war, and uh, one of the, 
these women heroes of the Bible, Jael, Heber's wife, uh, she uh, gets the captain of the enemy army to fall asleep in her tent, gives him a little bit of milk, and he falls asleep. And while he's asleep, she drives a nail through his temples and nails him to the ground, killing him. That was some dangerous sleep, y'all. I pray that our marriages here are a little bit better than that relationship. I pray we don't have any wives that are trying to nail their husbands to the bed or the ground while they're asleep. This is actually, interestingly, the only other time in the Bible that that specific phrase, fast asleep, is used. Because that's what it was said about Jonah. Jonah was fast asleep. And this is a, you know, a phrase that we use in, in our modern vernacular. It's a, it is also amazing how much of common language, common uh, lingo just comes straight from the Bible. Fast asleep. What does that mean? Well, it means they're sleeping like they were dead. Like that's some really good sleep. When I go to bed at night, you can ask my wife, I fall fast asleep. Right? How many of you are like that? Or how many of you have a spouse that's like that? Yeah, so I see spouses, but like she doesn't fall fast asleep. I, I fall asleep fast and then I am fast asleep. <laughs> and uh, if a kid were to cry, I don't know it. If a kid were to scream, I don't know it. If the police are on the corner right next to us and all the sirens are going, I don't know it. If the house is on fire, I don't know it. Fire line, it doesn't matter. I am, I sleep like I'm dead. Is this the truth? Okay. She'd be like, except for your snoring. You, that's the only way I know you're alive. You're still breathing. Um, I won't hear nothing. You see, and that was the state of Jonah. That was the state of, uh, in this case, uh, you know, it was the state of, uh, of, of this man that, that gets nailed to the floor. And this is a dangerous place to be in. Now, we know that, you know, practically it's kind of dangerous. It's a good thing to have a, a wife. Typically, wives are lighter sleepers. They got that motherly instinct. They know they got to wake up and take care of things. And back when Julian was little, uh, our first child, you know, she had to wake up and feed him throughout the night. And I think for a while she was like, hey, Hey, you know, he was on a bottle. She's like, you feed him, hey. And she's like, this is more, this, this more work to try to get James to wake up and actually help with his feeding. I could have just fed him and gone back to sleep myself already. It's like, I got to wake up a baby to get him to feed a baby. It's like, I may as well just feed the kids. So um, I never fed our kids at night. I'm just going to confess that right now. Not that my heart wasn't in it. It's just, I, I sleep like I'm dead. You guys remember the Adams family? The back, like from when we were kids, when we were kids, my generation, when we were kids, that one. Um, you know, there's a line in there where, where Uncle Fester comes back to the family, and that first night he sleeps and wakes up in the morning, and Morticia asks him, she says, how'd you sleep? And he says, like the dead. <laughs> right? That's how he slept. Because uh, we have this, this saying in, 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 Ameri in, in English that we use, you slept like a baby. What does that mean? That means you were up all the time. I mean, every, I was up every three hours and up all night. But when you sleep like the dead, what's that mean? Well, it means you slept like me. It means you slept like, like the dead. Nothing disturbed you. Okay. Judges chapter 16 and verse 19. Uh, Samson is shaven. He falls asleep. And then Delilah is able to shave him and, and take his strength from him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 26, uh, David finds Saul and his entire army asleep in a cave, and David could have killed Saul in his sleep. That one's a little different because God caused a sleep to come upon them. Um, 
In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 26, he put forth another parable and said unto them, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. So while, while we are asleep, there is someone that is coming in and trying to sow tares among the wheat. Mark chapter 13, verse 35 to 37. Watch you therefore, for you know not whether the master of the house, house cometh at even or at midday or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Right? You don't know when the master is going to return. Verse 36, lest suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And this is the warning that is given by Jesus in this parable. He said, the master is returning, and the one thing that you don't want to be uh, found doing when, when Christ returns is to be sleeping. Is to be, as, and maybe it's not literally your sleep. Maybe, you know, Christ returns in the middle of the day and you're awake. But practically, spiritually... You're asleep. It's as if you're doing nothing. Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41, And he came unto the disciples, and he findeth them asleep. And he said unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so here's Christ right before he's going to be crucified. And the, and the problem with his, with his disciples, the apostles, the, great, the greatest among us, uh, you know, if we look historically at Christendom, we're like, those guys were amazing. They're our example. They're asleep when Christ needed them. All right? Now, biblically, I think the opposite of, of being asleep is not to be awake, but actually to be watching. And you just saw that in these last two verses that we had. Watch ye therefore, because you don't know when the master's going to return. And the opposite of that, if you're not watching, you're asleep. Put it on the next slide, because those verses are up there again. And he said unto his disciples, he comes and he finds them, he says, what, could you not watch? Could you not watch with me? What I asked you to do was watch. Instead, what you did was fall asleep. See, because it's not even enough to be awake. What he wants us to do is to be engaged, to be looking, to be circumspect, to be alert to be tuned in to what is going on. Here's some instruction that we get in the New Testament for, for us as a church. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Church, listen. Believer, listen. But watch thou in all things. That's the instruction. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Mark chapter 13, verse 34 and 37. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Verse 37, what I say unto, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us, church, watch and be sober. This is the instruction that God has given us as the church, is that we would watch and be sober. This, was, this, this is what Jonah himself should have been doing. Actually, he shouldn't have been in the situation at all because he's going the wrong direction. Uh, but now, even in that, he's, find, he's finding some comfort in his rebellion. He's, he's just made his bed and he's decided, I'm okay with this rebellion. I'm just going to go to sleep. 
and I'm going to be fine with it. But listen, when we decide to not follow God, the commands that God has given us, we put our, our, ourselves in the same boat as those that are lost. Right? Here's a boat full of lost sailors who are about to die. And here's a prophet of God, the man of God, in a boat about to die. They were literally in the same boat. I wonder where that saying came from. We use that one too, don't we? We're in the same boat. What does that mean? The lost and who sh the man who should have been their only hope, the prophet, are there both about to die. Functionally, neither one of them are in a better state. If that boat goes down, water in the lungs affects all of those people the same. They're all going to die. So they were all near death. Now, you know, there is, of course, a clear caveat to this statement that I just made. Uh, we who are saved, we do not fully ever end up in the same boat as the lost because I will not end up in the same eternal destination. I, I, once I am saved, God has eternally saved me. But the way that, that things work out in this life, and we're talking about the situations of this life, the boat that I'm in and the storm that I'm in here on this earth, it may just be no different than the lost world around me. Why is that? Because I'm asleep. Because I've functionally turned myself into somebody who, who's living just like lost because I've decided to rebel against the Lord. Now, at the end of the day, I'm going to go to heaven still. And they won't. But that might be the worst news of all of it. They won't. And they won't hear because you were sleeping. And this is the state of many Christians, actually unaware of the fact that the world around them is about to die. Unaware of the fact that the world around them is about to be destroyed. Unaware of the, of the reality that the world around us is currently in great distress and fearing for their lives. This is where we find our world today, and this is also where we find many Christians. In the midst of the world, in the same boat, comfortable, fast asleep, doing absolutely nothing that God has commanded them to do, doing absolutely nothing to warn those around them, right? So when we decide not to go the way of the Lord, the way that he has directed, uh, we will be disconnected from the reality of those around us. When you decide to, to disregard what God has said, you will be disconnected from the reality of those around you. Okay? When I was a kid, um, you know, my dad used to talk about politics or world events. You know, I'm, I'm talking, I'm 10 and 12. Same age that I find my kids in now. Kind of same stage of life. And I'd listen to my dad and I'd be like, so what? I don't even know what you're saying. I know what a president is, but I don't really care. Right? And, and you know, you guys might have, I don't know if you had a dad like mine. He's, he's always got something he'd want to talk about. And, and I'd be like, I don't care about that war over there, and I don't care about this, and I don't care about that. I'm like, I'm a kid, and I'm totally disengaged, right, from, from everything that's going on in the world. Tables have turned. I'm a dad of <laughs> a 10 and a 12-year-old, and, uh, you know, actually, interestingly, Simone commented on this a couple weeks ago to me. My kids will, 
at that age, they'll kind of try to tune in to things that are going on in the world. She took my kids over to Bible study where her kids and was just listening to 12-year-old chatter in the backseat. And they got these, uh, you know, worldviews that they're, they're talking about. And they're talking about the Pope. And they're talking about politics. And you're like, oh, you have, and even in that, they're talking about it. But you're like, you have no idea what is going on in this world. You have no idea what you are talking about. And, and to be, I, well, I didn't want to know what my dad was talking about. I was like, can we talk about something else? And then I grew, and I got a little older. You know, I got into college, and I got into Sam's uh, college ministry at Kansas City Baptist Temple. And, and uh, you know, I'm supposed to be becoming an adult at that time, so I'm becoming aware of a little more stuff that's going on in the world. But something that always uh, has really impressed me uh, about Sam is, is that like my dad, he was really in tune with things that are going on in the world. He had a lot of insight. He listened to a lot of news, and, and then he wanted to talk about it with us. You know, here are college kids, and he'd go, hey, did you guys see what happened over in, in, in Iraq, in Palestine, and all these different parts of the world? And I'm, I'm still kind of like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be tuned into this now because I feel like I'm becoming an adult, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to make of that. But then Sam always had this ability to say, now, now, you, now you hear that, now let me show you what the Bible says. And he would always take these world events and he would point them back to the Bible. He does that for us still, right? He's always doing that from the pulpit. He'll say, hey, this is going on. Now look at this from a biblical perspective. And he does that in public. I'm going to let you in on a secret. He does that even more in private, like with the pastors. I don't know what he's like at home, but I know with the pastors... In our meetings, when he sits us down, he's like, we got to do 25 minutes first of world events and catch up. And, and I'm like, holy cow, this guy is tuned in. You know, what that, you know what that tells me? He's awake. He's awake to the state of the world around him. And believers, we should be. We should be awake to what is going on. Because we have a responsibility, we have an instruction from the Lord to be able to take the current state of the world and recognize it in light of what Scripture says and then take Scripture and give that to the people that are in those situations and messes and say, this is what's happening, look what God says. Sometimes it's as easy as saying, if you've tuned in, look what God said would happen. It just happened. Now this is what's going to happen next. Um, men who are awake, and I'll, again, I'll put Sam in this broad category. He's no prophet, but sometimes I think he's a prophet. He's telling us these things are going to happen. I go, how do you know that's going to happen? Because God said so. You just follow the signs. Right? So, uh, so where are you at, believer? Are you like Jonah? Asleep in the bottom of the ship while everyone around you, while you, you, you don't know what state your neighbors are in. You don't know the messes that they're wrestling with. You don't know the, the dilemmas that your coworkers are going through. You don't know the, 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 the situations in the, in the schools that you're sending your kids to. There's all this stuff going on in the world. And if we as parents and if we as disciplers and if we as believers are not able to, to tune in, to wake up and to, and to say, look at what's going on and this is what God says. 
Well, then we're asleep. And what good is that? You're like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just living life. Why are you sleeping? The Christian that is not concerned for souls, or the Christian that is not concerned for souls is living a life as if he were sleeping. While everyone around you is dying, completely oblivious to what is going on around him. We have to have a concern for souls. And when we have a concern for souls, that will push us to wake up and to be, to be alert to the things that are going on around us. And so this is a key thought. Living life without a concern for souls is the same as being asleep or dead. Because those two are linked together. If souls are not on your heart, then what, what good is your life? From an eternal perspective, from a biblical perspective, from a heavenly perspective. It's as if you are sleeping your way through life. Contrast Jonah and Christ. They were both in these same situations. If you remember in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Christ and his disciples are in a ship. They're going to cross uh, the lake. Christ is sleeping. And when, the ship in, and when he had entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, a great tempest arose in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Now we find Christ asleep. This is a different, we're going to see this is going to be a very different situation. And his disciples came to him and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Now, these situations are parallel. You have, you, have the, the, you have Christ, or you have the prophet, you have the man of God sleeping in the midst of a storm, and then you're going to have a, a resolution to the storm, and then everyone on the boat is going to be amazed at the power of God. But the difference here is that, is that Christ isn't tuned out. Christ has been engaged in the work that God had sent him to do. And there is also this other side of sleep in Scripture where, where God tells us that he gives his beloved rest. He gives us sleep. There is a reason to, to physically sleep and to be at peace when you sleep. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 24, When thou layest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and, they shall, and thy sleep shall be sweet. See, there, there are those whose faith is stayed in Christ who can lay down you know, for literal sleep and sleep and peace. Ecclesiastes 5.12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. When you get to the end of the day and you're laying your head down on your pillow to go to sleep, this is true both physically and spiritually. Physically, your, your sleep is going to be real sweet if you've actually labored throughout the day. You, you've worked that body. You've done some stuff. Uh, you've accomplished some things. You know, you got your to-do list checked off. You're able to actually lay down and you go, that's some sweet sleep. But the same thing is true spiritually. When you climb into bed at night and you lay down to go to sleep and you reflect back over your day, have you done anything for the Lord that day? Have you engaged with the Lord personally? Have you, con have you been concerned for the souls around you? As you lay down to sleep, it should not be sweet if you have not labored yet today. We should pray 
that God would not give us sweet sleep unless we've labored. Oh, how quickly our lives might change. Everyone shows up next week, and they're all tired like a zombie. What's wrong? I'm not sleeping very good. Hallelujah. Start evangelizing all day. Pray for the souls of men during the day, and, let's, and then let's get some sweet sleep. All right. So this is us. This is the state of the church. This is Jonah, just fast, fast asleep in the bottom of the ship. So everybody's got a plan. They're throwing everything out of the boat. We got to lighten the boat. We don't want it to sink. We got to. And everyone's calling out to their own god. And and the master of the ship comes and he and he says, uh, you know, what are you doing, sleeper? This is interesting to me. The lost world is even amazed. Here 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 are heathen men in the boat. And when they find the man of God asleep, what's their first comment? What are you doing? They're amazed that this man could be sleeping at a time like this. And they end up crying. Twice it says that they cry out. There in verse 5, the mariners were afraid and they cried out. And you jump over to verse 14. Wherefore they cried, now they're crying unto the Lord. Hey, don't lay this man's blood upon us. But twice they cried. And this is the state of the lost world. As we look at the men on this boat, we get to see quickly that just the state of the lost world. They cried out. The lost world, and this is, this is really interesting to me. In this case, the lost world is actually asking Jonah to cry out to his God on their behalf. Can you believe that? How backwards is this situation? That the man of God has no concern for souls and is asleep, but here the lost world is coming to him and saying, Would you please cry out to your God for me? I wonder... How many of the people that I'm around daily, I teach in a university, students and coworkers, are in such distress in their life that they're actually crying out and saying, God, I just want a man of God to, to, to speak to me. I just wish that somebody would cry out to God on my behalf because I don't know how. How many people would come to Christ if we would just wake up and recognize that they're already crying out and asking. Because there are some. They are around us. When, when Braden and, and David went to Kenya about a year ago, they were there for uh, mission focus time. They were out evangelizing on the streets. They were awake. They were just looking and praying and, and trusting the Lord. And Braden met a guy named Brian. And, and Brian told Braden, he said, I've just been fasting and praying that God would send me a man to teach me the Bible and mentor me. I think it goes by just saying that. I'm like, what? And praise God that Braden was awake and he went praying the same prayer. Connect me with the people. And he went out and then he looked for him. And he found that man. Brian is on about lesson... 14 now in discipleship with Duncan and Ken. They're working together to disciple him. He's, he's a faithful member. He's serving there at that church and he's growing. He's not the only one, people. He is not the only person that recognizes that their life is running them towards death at a rapid pace. And getting there is scary because it's a storm. And they're saying, would somebody just 
tell me what God says or cry out to him for me. And so they come and, and when they're in life-threatening distress, many people want God to intervene. You talk to the lost, when they find out they have cancer, you talk to the lost, when their family member dies, you, and a lot of people are saying, I need some answers now. Who's going to help me? Then what they do, the lost, these, these, these lost men, presumably lost men, you know, they've got other gods, at least they're idolaters. They're, they're all worshiping some other god. In, in, in verse 7, they wake Jonah up. They tell him to, to cry out to his God. Verse 7, then they cast lots. And this is an interesting thing as well. Uh, because though they worship false gods, now they're going to engage in an act given by the true God as a means for him to communicate with his people. So uh, what are casting of lots? This first shows up in the Bible in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 8. Aaron is going to cast lots upon the two goats. One would be the sacrifice and one would be the scapegoat. And so we see that the lot system was used by God to make a distinction for his people. Typically it was uh, a system that that would just give you a, a this or a that type of an answer, right? Kind of who should we pick, where should we go? Lots were used to divide the land for inheritance in Joshua chapter 18 and verse 8 and 10. Uh, they would use the lots to say, you know, Simeon gets this land and Judah gets that land, and they divided the land that way. Uh, lots were used to choose between Saul and Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 42 when they're trying to figure out uh, whose fault it was that, you know, who, who broke the rules today? And Jonathan ate some honey. It's on him. Lots were, were, were last, the very last use of lots you find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 26 when they cast lots to see who will replace uh, uh, Judas to be the next uh, apostle. Now, that was, that's a quick overview of lots. Lots were, as I said, they were a communication system that God used, particularly in the Old Testament, to instruct his people, to guide them towards uh, a specific path. Uh, you can see a lot more examples of it in Scripture. But God no longer communicates with us this way. God no longer uses lots. There's a reason it ended in Acts chapter 1 as you're transitioning into the church and you're transitioning to a couple things. The next thing that happens in Acts 1, they get that apostle and then the Holy Spirit comes and, and you get those, those, um, the, those spirit moving. You get, you get some transitional sign gifts that show up there. They start speaking in tongues, but then that goes away as well. God no longer uses the lot system because he's replaced that limited communication system with a more complete communication system. Okay, instead of the lots, what God has given us is the word of God and his spirit. And that is a complete communication system. The lot system uh, was I could ask and I would get a one-way answer, but now you have a, a bi-directional, fully functional, in every situation communication system. Howbeit, John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. This is the work of the spirit, which, by the way, he also says would indwell us. So he will be in us and he will guide us into all truth. Uh, next chapter, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so God will use the spirit that now can indwell us and his word to fully communicate with us. So the lot system is gone, but he gave us something far better. By the way, Satan has counterfeited this, and, and in many forms, the, a, a lot system is still in, in existence in the world and is used by many. Uh, tarot cards, tokens, horoscopes, dice, palm readings, all types of interactions, uh, Ouija boards, anything that tells you that I can, I can get an answer and I can read and 
and, and, and give you some insight into the future. All of this stemmed from what God instituted as a way that he would supernaturally communicate with his people. By the way, it still works supernaturally, but it didn't God work in it. So all of those things are things that you do not want to engage in. Just, by, you know, by the way, I'll throw that out there. They are not a game, even though they market Ouija boards as games to children now. There are, there are real supernatural spirits that are involved in these practices. Keep your kids safe, y'all. All right. So, so, but listen, here's the thing. God loved the lost. Even these men, God loved them enough to speak to them. They cry out, whether they're Jews or not, I don't know, they get, they, but they all worship false gods. And in the moment of distress, they cast lots and God gives them a true answer. He directs them to the, to, to the answer. They know now it's, it's Jonah. And so they ask Jonah and he tells them, listen, God loves the lost enough to speak to them. Now he wants to speak to them through you, but he loves them enough to speak to them. Do you? Now they knew it was Jonah's fault and Jonah told them how to fix it. And this, too, is an interesting situation, and I understand the dilemma. Jonah said, just throw me overboard, and it'll be better. And, and this often happens, especially to the religious. When we start evangelizing the religious, you'll find this happening quite a bit. You'll tell them that the, that the, that the answer is not in your religion and your works. The answer is in a sacrifice. It's kind of a messed up picture, but it is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. Jonah is going to become the sacrifice. The only way to get peace in your life is going to be through accepting a sacrifice. Unfortunately, what Jonah is telling them is you've got to throw me overboard. Like they've got to be complicit in this sacrifice. They've got to be a part of it. And that's, that's a hard thing. Here's what they do. They decide to work harder. It says that what they do. They row harder and they work harder. And oftentimes, I saw this a lot, especially working uh, with Muslims, the, the very, very religious. Or you work with Catholics, you see the same thing. You start to tell them of the sacrifice. You tell them of the way out. And what they will do is they will press in deeper into the religion. They will work harder to row that boat to shore. But what they will find out is that they, the winds are against them and the storm is tempestuous and they cannot row that boat to shore. They can never work their way there. But a lot of times you'll see the lost try to do this. We will press into our works. I saw a number of, uh, of Muslims become better Muslims because I was evangelizing them, right? And they wanted to press in and prove that this system would work. Don't be discouraged by that. Know that that's a sign that they are, they are wrestling with it. They are trying to figure it out. Stay awake, stay alert, keep on. But this is, this is often the case. Even when facing death, they would rather work for their salvation than submit to God's sacrifice. And there are a lot of people that are like that in this state. A lot of people want to see the storms quit raging. A lot of people want to see the storms in life cease. But they don't want to accept the sacrifice. When they accept the sacrifice, there is peace. As soon as that sacrifice was made and Jonas tossed overboard, storms, storms ceased. So if we love souls, we must pray for repentance. If we love the lost, we must pray for repentance. If we love souls, we must not only pray for repentance among the lost, but we must pray for repentance among ourselves as well. When I say we must pray for repentance, we must pray for repentance at every level. I need to repent because I'm not as awake as I should be. 
I need to repent because I'm missing opportunities every day and, and the souls around me are still pressing their way into hell. And some of them are crying out and saying, would somebody just tell me? And so this is how we wrap up. There is a great need for repentance. Jonah refused to repent thus far. I think many of you know the story. It's going to come around, kind of. But despite great trial and suffering for Jonah and all those around him and upon his own recognition, he even admits to everybody, he's like, it's because I'm running from God. That's why all of this is happening. He still refuses to repent. Christian, what about you? Will you refuse to repent even though you recognize that the storms and the struggles and the trials of life are because of your own rebellion? Or will you submit yourself to the Lord? Jonah chose death over repentance. Throw me in the sea. I'm better off dead. The sailors, they feared the Lord. And when they saw the, the, the sacrifice bring peace, they did repent. They start worshiping. They start offering sacrifice. And they make vows to the Lord. The world needs to see repentant believers not just who got saved, but were willing to confess and repent of the, of the sin and the struggles and the things that slow us down. Forgive me for not sharing the gospel. Forgive me for, for, my, for the areas where I've been asleep to the needs of the people around me. Do you know your neighbors? I don't know my neighbors well enough. Do you know their needs? Do you know your coworkers? Do you know what they need? So put up the next slide. So a couple things to consider. We've got about five minutes, and I'm going to leave you guys some time to pray, uh, some time to pray together, some time to discuss it. Do you need to wake up, believer? Or more specifically, how? To what? What do I need to tune into in order to love souls more? And do I need to repent? What, what do I need to repent of in my life? And do I, and then who? You know, maybe you're, you're saying, I, you know, I have a, a habit of repenting and I'm, I think I'm walking with the Lord. Then the question would be who? Who do you know in your life? Oftentimes we talk about making Andrew list and naming the people that we're praying for. Do it. Let's take a few minutes right now. Tell your neighbor who you're praying for. This is who I'm praying that God would open doors for this week. I want to talk to so-and-so about the gospel. So we've got about five minutes. Grab a, a friend, grab a neighbor, or take time with the Lord. And then, uh, you know, once it starts getting loud, we'll all shuffle out of here. Amen?